through 8. The whole passage is verses 1 through 13, which we won't really deal with uh, the rest of the chapter this morning. Uh, much is made uh, of, of recently, in, in the most recent days, of, uh, of churches having mission statements or vision statements. You may, you may have noticed this in some churches that you've been in, that there are, uh, there's an idea of having a, a statement, a statement of, of what the church exists for. And positively, having a clear state, clearly stated mission uh, is, is a good thing. That, that, that's very helpful for, for any organization for that matter. But less positively, churches can um, too often take uh, creative license with the mission and the purpose of the church in order to try to be unique or try to be uh, cool or try to be um, somehow new. They, they may take some licenses. Uh, here's the reality. The mission of the church is not a secret. Right? It, it, there, there's, no, there's no hiding it. It doesn't take great effort or even creativity to find it or unpack it. The mission of the church is tied directly to the mission of God. Or we could say to the goal of God. So if the mission of God is the mission of the church, or the goal of God is the goal of the church, then the question must be asked, then what is the goal of God? What is the mission of God? And here's the simple, not so secret, right? profound but not hidden. The goal of God is the glory of God. That's what the goal of God is. The goal of God is that God would be glorified in all the earth. God chose his people. So how does this relate to the church? God chose his people for his glory. That's what Ephesians 1 tells us. That we were saved to the praise of his glorious grace. It's about God's glory. The church exists for the glory of God. Over and over again throughout the scriptures, we find that all things are for God's glory. All things are for this goal. Here, here are a few. Isaiah chapter 43. God created us for his glory. Isaiah, Jeremiah chapter 13 verse 11. God called Israel for his glory. Psalm 106. God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. John 7. Jesus sought the glory of his Father in all he did. John 16, 14. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was to glorify the Son of God. John 14, 13. Jesus said that he answered prayer so that God would be glorified. Isaiah 43. God forgives our sins for his own sake. Romans 15, 7. Jesus receives us into fellowship for the glory of God. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. Jesus is coming again for the glory of God. Do you get, do you get the message? It's all about God's glory. Sometimes we, we build a sermon and all the way to the end and we get the, the, big, the big right hook at the end. Ah, there's, there's the point. No, the point is the beginning of the sermon tonight. This, the point is this. God's goal is his glory. That's what he is after. How does that relate to us? How does that relate to the church? That's what we want to ask and see this morning. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6 as was already read. And here we read Isaiah's account of his vision of 
the Lord. This is a vision that the prophet Isaiah has. And in it, um, we can see this. That the revelation of God's glory results in repentance and leads to a willful response of submissive obedience. The revelation of God's glory results in repentance and leads to a willful response of submissive obedience. First, the revelation of God's glory. We just read it. Isaiah, in the year the king Uzziah died, saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood seraphim, each had six wings. Who did Isaiah actually see? It says here that he saw the Lord. Now there's a number of of mentions of the Lord here in this passage, and they're not all the same word for God. The first one in verse 3, or the one in verse 3 is Adonai, and the one in verse 5 is Jehovah, when it says the Lord of hosts. One commentator helps us with this, and he says this, When you get down to verse 10, you see what Isaiah is supposed to say. And he says that Jesus Christ is meant as speaking in verse 10, the message, according to John 12, 41, that says this, Isaiah said these things, these things, his book, because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Additionally, the writer continues, Isaiah could only have seen the Son, not the divine essence. Why? Because John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. So how, how could that have happened? Well, we understand this, that Jesus is the fullness of the deity dwelling bodily. That's what Jesus is. That Jesus, who was was the word and was with the with God in the beginning became flesh dwelt among us in verse 14 of John 1 tells us that we have seen his glory glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth in John 14 when Jesus is talking to his disciples about leaving Thomas says we don't know where you're going we don't know how to get there that whole conversation a little bit later in that passage he says Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The only one Isaiah could have seen is Jesus himself. So he sees the Lord. We believe this to be Jesus. Secondly, what did he hear? Well, in verse 3, we get this announcement, this angelic announcement, this fiery angelic announcement. This is from the seraphim. And the word seraphim means flame, flames. And, And here's what he says. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We see two things primarily here. The holiness of God and the glory of God. The holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. You, you might, uh, your ears might perk up to that, that threefold repetitious call of holy, holy, holy. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, we hear this from, from the cherubim, another angelic being. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The significance of the threefold repetition 
is said that, that it intensifies this superlative. It intensifies this word holy. It's not just, just holy. It's not just holy, holy. It's holy, 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 right? It's building it up. It's helping us understand the significance of the word. Holy by itself means absolute moral purity, separateness, separate from sin, distinct, hallowed, sacred. That's who this God is. He is 100% fully holy. The angelic beings understood who this Lord was. And the calling to Isaiah is to understand it as well. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God is holy. Secondly, we see the glory of God being revealed. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or we could say, the whole earth will be full of his glory. Another way to say that is the fullness of the whole earth is his glory. The point in any of those is that God's goal is his glory over all things. That's what the goal of God is. We see it in the beginning with creation. God made all things. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. The prophet Habakkuk says this, The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Paul writes in in chapter 11 of Romans, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And finally, Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, John, the apostle John has a vision. That's what the revelation of Jesus Christ, the book, is. And in chapter 21, verse 23, it says this, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So what is this glory? What is this glory that we speak of here? What, is, what, is, what are they saying when they say the word glory? I was talking to somebody this week about this and saying, I just don't know if we can properly convey this idea of glory. I don't think I understand it enough to even convey it properly, to be very honest with you this morning. Here are some definitions. In the Hebrew, it means weight or or splendor. Um, To speak of something as being unusually fine or deserving honor, to praise or to glorify, to honor or magnify or exalt. In the Greek, it's the word doxa, that we would get our word doxology, to praise. And those definitions, though though they're true, and they might give us some synonyms to try to substitute out for some of us to make more sense of it, I just don't know that we can properly get it. But here's a sentence that maybe just can give us some more clarity. The glory of the Lord is the manifestation of God's presence with his people. So if God's goal is his glory over all things. That means his presence in full with his people. That's what that means. And here in Isaiah, we get this with this isolated incident where Isaiah sees and understands God's glory in this place at this time in a very unique scenario. Here, God's glory blows Isaiah away. He is unprepared for what he saw, and what he heard, and he is undone 
by it all. And that's exactly what the glory of the Lord does. Here in Isaiah, in this vision, uh, the glory is described a, a little bit differently than other places in the Old Testament. So some of you might be familiar with the term Shekinah glory. That's not actually a biblical word. Okay? That, that, if you go search for that word, you're never going to find that word. That's not a, a word that's in the Bible. It's, it's an extra biblical word to express um, this idea. It's a form of a Hebrew word that literally means he caused to dwell. So this, it's the idea of God's presence. And if we look back through the Old Testament, we can see a number of occasions of this. So we think back to Exodus 3, where we see Moses in the burning bush, right? That's a manifestation of God's presence with his people. Exodus chapter 16, the pillar of cloud and fire. In Exodus 19, on Mount Sinai, when Moses goes up to meet with God, we see that God comes down to meet with him, and there is, in connection with that, smoke and lightning and fire in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, and in the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. The glory of God is God's presence manifested with his people. The goal of God is glory. It was from the beginning. It was from the beginning. That's what God was doing. His presence over all the earth. Sin corrupted it, right? Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. Jesus is the fullness of God, dwelling bodily, and he came with God's glory. Just recently I was reading my, my uh, daily Bible reading, the, the transformation, right? And that's where the disciples actually got this glimpse of, of who Jesus actually was, right in front of their very eyes. This was Jesus. But one day, the earth will be full of his glory, we know that because of not only the, the calls from the prophets, but we look forward to the book of Revelation and we see it that that is what it is all moving towards. When this tabernacle of God will be with man, when he will make all things new, when the holy city descends out of heaven. And we should all say with John at this moment, even so, come Lord Jesus. You can't actually imagine it. It's beyond, it's beyond the human imagination to imagine what the glory of the Lord with us in full would be. But when I was a kid, I, I did not want um, Jesus to come back, right? I, I liked life. I was kind of afraid of the unknown. I kind of thought, man, this is really good. I'm not sure I want to trade this for that. I don't know what that is. And maybe you can relate with that. But the older I get, not only do I long for, for it more, but, but I've understood a few more things. And here's, here's one of the things I understand, that every good gift I have here is merely a shadow. Merely. You take the best thing here, it is merely a shadow of the goodness of God. It is meant to show you the goodness of God, but it's only a shadow of it. It's not the fool. It's not without the fall. It's not without sin. It's not without problems. One day, the fullness is coming. We could say the best is yet to come. Jesus is coming again for the glory of God. Next, in Isaiah chapter 6, we see the result from the glory of God. The result from God's glory. Listen to Isaiah's response in verse 5. Woe is me. 
for I am lost, or undone, some of your Bibles say. For I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here is the, the, uh, the effects of God's glory. One is, is confession and repentance. That, that Isaiah sees himself for who he really is. He sees that, that he is undone. He is unclean. He says, woe is me. Usually the prophet is, is speaking a judgment of woe on, on other people. Not on himself. But he's recognizing who he really is. Why? Why does he say woe? He says it for himself, the very next thing. For, because I am lost. Because I am undone. Because I am unclean. And not just me. Not, not just me. Isaiah says, I'm unclean, but I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. And how does that happen? Because they've seen the king, the Lord of hosts. This is what happens when we are confronted with the king. And we see it throughout the Bible. This isn't the only place. We look at the story of, of Job. You might know the man who, who suffered very much. He questioned God. He asked, why, why was this happening? How could this happen? A lot of, lot of dialogue between him and God, which was really one-sided, more of like a monologue because God didn't answer him until the end. And then God does answer him. And after he gets the answer, Job does something. He says, I'm not going to talk anymore. I was wrong about that. I repent. He was confronted with the king and it changed him. It changed him. When Jesus is calling the disciples, um, he calls Simon Peter. And they're out in the boat and uh, they're fishing. And Jesus says, cast your, your net down. And Simon Peter says, well, we've been fishing there. There's no fish there. He says, do it. And in comes this, this load of fish, right? And Simon Peter's response to that is, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was confronted with God, and it changed his life. Or we can see Saul on the road to Damascus, blinded by the light. His response is, who are you, Lord? Is this you, Jesus? And then the very next thing in the New King James Version, verse 6, it says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Confession and repentance. When God's glory shows up, Things get real clear, real fast. The second thing we see is forgiveness and atonement. Verse 6, And the one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The burning coal here is God's purifying of Isaiah. It's preparing Isaiah for ministry. John MacArthur says this, repentance is painful. The purging and the taking away, the atonement we see in verse 7, for Isaiah was not salvific, meaning it wasn't related to his salvation. Rather, it was in preparation for service. However, as we look at verse 6, and we hear that he takes the coal from the altar. What's that altar? That altar prefigures the cross. That altar prefigures the place of atoning sacrifice for sin. That altar prefigures for us the place that Jesus would become the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 2.2 2. We learn that sin can only be pardoned 
by sacrifice. That's why Jesus had to come. If sin could be atoned another way, then we could do it another way. Jesus even said, if there's another way, let let this cup pass from me. There was no other way. This was it. The only way for sin to be atoned for was through sacrifice. And it's true for us too this morning. The only way your sin is atoned for is through the sacrifice of Jesus himself. Finally, we see the response to God's glory. The response to God's glory in verses 8 and 9 primarily. God's glory sends us out and calls us to service and demands proclamation. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, if you're just lightly reading that, you might not catch much there. But note the pronoun, us. What what is God doing there? We believe that that's that's a, a plural meaning three persons. That would be a, an evidence that, that God is three. God is one God in three persons. We see this elsewhere in the Bible, primarily in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, when God is making man, he said, let us make man in our own image. God is calling here, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is calling here a messenger to be his voice to his wayf- wayward people. That's what the Israelites were. They were wayward people. And God is calling Isaiah to be his voice. And what is Isaiah's response in verse 8? Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. We, We see this here I am language elsewhere in the Bible too. We see it first with with Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 when he's told to take his son. God calls him, he says, here I am. Jacob in Genesis chapter 31. Moses in Exodus 3. Samuel in 1 Samuel 3. And Ananias in Acts 9 when he is told to go and help Saul. Here I am. This is a a willing submission. Here I am. What? Send me. I don't think there's any way that Isaiah knew what he was getting himself into. I don't think he could have known what he was getting himself into. I don't think God had told him what he's getting himself into. He just saw the glory of God and heard the voice of God, and he responded. Even if he knew what he was getting himself into, when the word of God is spoken, we go. We act. What's the alternative? Ask Jonah. Right? You don't want want that story. When God speaks, we move. What does he tell him to do? He tells him to go. He commissions him. Go and say this to my people. Go and say. Go and tell. Tell what? Well, verses 9 through 13, and really the rest of the book, is Isaiah prophesying to the people of God. It's a message of judgment. Isaiah was sent out to to give a lot of bad news to people. And news that people didn't want to hear and that people did not receive. There's a a principle for us to learn there too. That you and I are called with a message that not all people will receive. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 13, but he also experienced in his life. Right? Not everybody believed Jesus, clearly. And friend, they won't necessarily believe you either. But the gospel... The gospel is a message of words and a message that must be told. It must be spoken. 
Romans chapter 10. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. It's good to live like a Christian, but we need to speak like a Christian. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 tells us that God's word will not return void. That was true for Isaiah. It is true for you and me this morning as well. I hope you know today that God is still calling people. He's still doing it, right? He's doing it in the the O'Brien's life. We have have, um, a, a guy right now in seminary training. We have a kid in college who wants to go into the ministry. God is still calling. Not, not, like, not a prophet like Isaiah. That's not what he's calling. But he's calling heralds nonetheless. He's calling messengers nonetheless. And as disciples, if you claim to be a Christian, you are a disciple. You are called to make disciples. And when Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, he says, go therefore. What did he say to Isaiah? Go and say. What does he say to you and me? Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I command you. God is still doing it. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that God would send workers. May he do that, continue to do that here. So how does the church then fulfill the mission or the goal? How does the church bring glory to God? How does the church spread the glory of God? During the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, there were five core beliefs that were, were uh, kind of summarized the, the movement. They're called solas in the Latin, for only or, or alone. And the fifth sola is soli deo gloria, which means glory to God alone. And those men believed that, that it was only about God's glory. It wasn't about their glory. It wasn't about something else. It was only about God's glory. The story is told of a composer that you might know named Bach, that he would begin his his writing by, by writing two letters at the top of the sheet of music. And it was two J's. And in Latin, that is abbreviation for, for, for the phrase, Jesus help me. So before he even started writing, he's asking for help. And when he gets to the bottom of the page, after he's completed the score, he writes S-D-G, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory. One writer writing about that says this, his life, that's Bach, was a unique translation of that singular motive, and so is ours. No one can glorify God like you or for you. Your life is an original score. That doesn't mean that you are on a sole effort, though. We are together writing this score of glorifying God. You're not on an island of glorifying God. It's not an individual pursuit. We are members of one body called to bring glory to God in all things. But how do we do that? How will you do that? Because the truth is, left to yourself, you will glorify yourself. That's what Romans 1 tells us. That we left to ourselves, we worship the created things, not the creator. That's our nature. So I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not that prideful of a person. Listen, your heart is, whether you know it or not, set on itself. Self-glorification. You want to be right. You want to be known. You want to be loved. You want to be 
you want it. It's a self-centeredness. It's part of the sinful condition. Christ came to show us what a life lived to the glory of God looks like. In John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says that very thing. I came to glorify you, that my life would glorify you. So how can we glorify God? Well, the only way that you could ever glorify God is that you come to understand that you are a sinner and left to yourself, you'll never do it. It's not just to look to Jesus as a good example of what to do. A lot of people do that. Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good guy. Be more like Jesus. That's not good enough. You could never do that on your own. What you need is a new heart. What you need is renewal from the inside out, not from the outside in. There's a lot of ideas about character. Character counts, morals. That's all fine, but that's not getting us anywhere in the kingdom. That stuff will get you to hell. What you need is Jesus. What you need is Jesus to renew you. What you need to do is what the Bible tells us, is to recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior and come to him in repentance and faith. But how? How can we as a church move forward? Let me give you four ideas this is not exhaustive. Number one, four ways we can glorify God is in salvation. You might say, well, I'm already saved. Well, then it is to help other people come to know Jesus. That God is glorified when people come to know Jesus. It's the praise of his glorious grace. Number two, by good works. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus says, by, by our good works, people will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our works bring glory to God. Three, through our service. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. As one who serves with, by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. And finally, this is kind of all-encompassing. right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do can bring glory to God. John Piper says this, All of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and his son, Jesus, among the peoples of the earth. That's what this is about. It's about God's glory being known all through the earth. This is how God's glory fills the earth, as we ascribe worth to him. Might you join in the heavenly chorus of Revelation 4.11 that says this, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Brother, sister, friend, visitor, stranger, you exist for the glory of God. That's what your life is about. You might say, I don't know my purpose in life. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? Your purpose in life is to glorify God. It's not about a specific job or a specific place or a specific mate or a specific vision. It is about the glory of God in everything, in your actions, in your words, in your relationships. May God bring glory to himself in our lives. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to do just that today? Would you help us to bring glory to you? Would you help us to 
to see that you deserve the glory. Father, as we think about the lamb who was slain for our sins, we recognize a great price has been paid. And as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. That's Jesus. Therefore, glorify your God and your Father with your body and your soul. God, may it, may it be. May it be from this church that we would be known as people who glorify God, not ourselves. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with